to the RC Plan Lab podcast. I'm your host, Tom. I'm Ron. And I'm Dave. And today we're here with a special guest. Very special guest. Terry Dunn, say hello. Hello. Special? I'm not sure I earned that yet, but thank you. (laughs) Of course you have. You're special to us. Like, I really feel like I know you better than I do because, like, listening to you guys in your podcast obviously gives you that false sense of... What's what I'm looking for? I don't want to say friendship, but that the false sense of knowing each other kind yeah, of familiarity. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, we share a lot about ourselves. And so, yeah, it's, I think the extent to which me is pretty accurate to if you actually knew me. Yeah. Well, I feel like I know you well then. <laughs> well, and even, even via email, Terry and I have been, you know, kind of going back and forth on, you know, a, a subject that we've been talking about. So, yeah. Which I, we'll I, cover I kinda, here today a Yeah, I kind of feel a, uh, a small amount of familiarity also. Yeah. That's a hard word to say. It is. So, so it, it's, that and our little community is so tightly knit anyway, we're far removed from each other. So. Yeah. That's true. It's amazing how small it is. Yeah. Um, and really how nice all the people are. Like I've, I've run into some people that are not what I would call nice, <laughs> but for the most part, it's a very welcoming and, and, you know, just helpful community. Sure. Well, I think you're going to, I think you're going to find that with, with any type of thing that you put out there for other people to, to view or, or listen to, you know, I was going through the YouTube stuff the other night, just kind of looking at and seeing how, you know, seeing how our videos were doing. And there's always, you know, there's always one comment in there that's like, you know, did, the, did that guy really need to say that or, or whatever? And I try, you try not to let it get under your skin, but sometimes it's like, I'm not going to reply to this because I know I'll say something probably I shouldn't, but it's hard sometimes to resist that urge. See, yeah, I don't need to pay attention. I haven't looked at the YouTube stuff for a long time, so I yeah. don't know. Anyway, so welcome to the show, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, like I said before, you obviously host a, a very popular and probably the biggest RC airplane podcast in the history of the world, um, <laughs> of which... Oh, no, I think that is highly inaccurate. But uh, go ahead, continue. It's certainly a popular one. Can we at least agree on that? Um, I don't, it feels weird to say that, but if you want to use those adjectives, I'll accept it. See, I like you were so humble. Graceful. I mean, yeah, yeah very... Yep. unassuming, like mm-hmm. which is very nice. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, host of the biggest RC airplane podcast in the world, in the history of the world. Um, and like I said, I, I listen all the time and I, I really do enjoy it. Uh, what? First off, I want to ask, how did you guys get started? What made you decide to start a podcast? Um, I think this story has been told a few times. Sure. And of the three of us, that's myself and then Fitzwalker and Lee Ray, my buddies, who still live in Texas. Um, those guys, when I lived in Lubbock, Texas, they lived in Houston and they had gone to a swap meet or maybe it was a swap meet where we all met up, but they had a long drive back. And during that drive, they were listening to a RC related podcast. And I think it was probably the crash cast. Oh yeah. I and, that one. and they were talking about what was going on. And they said, you know, our conversations that we have with these things, it's kind of similar to this. I think we could pull it off. And so, of course, none of us knew anything about <laughs> how to make a podcast at the time. Yeah. Um, but they said, let's try it. And they called me. I said, uh, okay. And that was it. And we've just uh, pushed our way forward with blunt force trauma, <laughs> learning the lessons as we went along. And here we are, I think, five years later. 
maybe six. I lost track. Wow. That's, en- that's encouraging to hear him talk about it that way because that almost word for word is exactly how, how we sort of started. Yeah. And how we still are. Yeah. Right. But, um, yeah, that, that's a familiar chain of events. A f- yeah. yeah. A, a familiar line of how things happen. Right. So that's probably common for most people. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I admit when we started, I had no clue what I'm doing and I'm not that much farther along than I was then, <laughs> but a little bit. I'd say you've, we've come, we've come some. We've come a small distance. A small okay. distance. Yeah. So Terry, you like RC airplanes. We also like RC airplanes. I'm going to jump right into it. What's okay. your number? Okay. I'm oh, so curious. Like, I don't know why. That's why I want to start. <laughs> wow. This seems so premature. Um, really? You don't okay, want to like build up to it or anything? You okay, just want fine. to then get don't, right, don't, right after it? I mean, don't tell me now. Then we'll work up to it. So how do you start? <laughs> I'm how, sorry. That's what you no, want. No, I'll that's do fine. It. I'll, I'll, I'll yield everybody else. So how do you start off in the hobby? <laughs> What'd you do? I'm going to write it on this piece of paper. <laughs> I can't see it. I would be interested in, like, I, I'm always interested to see what motivated somebody to start flying model airplanes. So well, I was going to get to that next, but I wanted to, you're, okay, yeah. you're right. We'll, we'll build it up. I've, I'm, I always go for the bull in the china shop, I you guess. You do. You, you kind of, you, you kind of go for the goal first and then make up the rest <laughs> as, you know, as you, I, I would be more interested in hearing first, you know, what made Terry decide to start flying model airplanes. Okay. Um, I think it's a pretty simple story. When I grew up in Florida, um, I had several uncles who were pretty young. They were my father's much younger brothers. And my grandfather all had control line planes. And so it was just kind of always around. It was 35 size control line and half A control line. So I just grew up with this kind of familiarity of that stuff and did control line for a little while. And that just morphed into RC. And at this point, the only people who are still into it are myself and one of my uncles. But the question for me is, did that familiarity breed a, a love of aviation stuff? Or was I born with that and that kind of you know, cultivated yeah. the activities I was in? I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. But basically, I've always loved airplanes, airplane history, and modeling, of course, is the natural extension of that. Mm-hmm. And so I... On our show, we call it being a lifer, and I can't think of another way to describe it. It, It's hard to imagine ever not being around or somehow involved with model airplanes. Yeah, Yeah. I I feel that way too. Whatever shenanigans the FAA may come up with to prevent that. Yeah, I I don't know. I still think it's going to be okay. Oh, you're talking about the FAAs? Yeah. I thought you were telling him it's going to be okay to to continue to be a lifer. Oh, no, I I think we all are. (laughs) I mean, that... That I look around. I mean, that's what well, yeah. my whole area down here is. So, um, so you said okay. So you you started with watching control line and that kind of stuff. Like, what what's the time frame where you would have flown your first RC airplane? Um, let's see. I remember um, probably around my twelfth birthday, I received my first RC airplane kit. It was a Goldberg Junior Falcon, which is a half a powered thing. Yep. Um, with a orbit three channel radio. And strangely, we never flew that. It would have been a few years later, I got a Great Plains PT-20 Excellent with an Airtronics radio. Mm-hmm. And that's one we actually, I, I built and flew, and that was the start. Yeah. And I have to admit that there was a period there during high school when I got into racing tent scale off-road cars, <laughs> and that kind of dominated my 
attention for a little while. Sounds a little familiar. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that was in the heyday of the RC-10s and the GRX-2s. Oh, yeah. So when was that? Um, Early 90s when all that was big. And then actually in college, I guess I didn't do much of any of that. I didn't do cars or airplanes really. Um, But right out of college, I got a job in Houston and I brought all my gear with me. And suddenly I have a little bit of money and a whole lot of time. And that's Mm -hmm. when I started getting back into all this stuff. Yeah. That was the real starting point of it becoming a big deal for me. Yeah. Do you still, do you still occasionally fly a control line? I'm curious. Um, no, I did get a Cox PT-19 a a year or two ago. I found one new in box and that was my first control line plane that I had as a kid. And probably that's Mm -hmm. a similar story for a lot of people in the hobby now. That's the one and only control line plane I've ever flown. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wow. So yeah, I found one that had been in an attic forever and had never been flown. So I had to buy it and I can't bring myself to fly that one, but (laughs) in reigniting that old flame, I did pick up another old control line plane that I am going to fly. So to answer your question, no, I haven't flown it any control line in several years. Um, A friend of mine had one um, probably, gosh, I guess it was 10 years ago now. And he let me fly it. And that would have been the first time since I was a kid yeah. And I'll admit, I felt a little dizzy afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I wondered how that would yeah. be because I can't spin around in circles. So that would make I me nauseous. Felt yeah. a lot dizzy. Did you? Yeah. yeah. I can imagine. I can't do it either. It was never an issue as a kid, but that yeah, see, one, that's, yeah. I, I, that's a, a story I hear a lot. Some people, they can, they can manage that. To, you know, they, they work out systems in their brain, whatever it is to, to not get that, that motion, um, I don't want to say vertigo, but yeah, the sickness, the, I I never, as a kid, I was never able to overcome that. So it, it just always made me puke. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's the same with like FPV and stuff. I can't do that either because that just makes me like instantaneously nauseous and that lasts all day. Yeah. So Terry. Well, I hope control line is like FPV for me because my first experience with FPV was very disorienting. I couldn't, my brain would not reconcile what my eyes were seeing and what my ears were telling yeah. me. The ears said it's over here, but my eyes were saying, oh. no, it's over here. Yeah. And it's very disorienting. So once, yeah. Yeah. So after some trial and error, I finally figured out how to disconnect those things. And after that, I was fine. Hmm. But at first it, it was an issue. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm built for this. <laughs> so you don't get sick so, then by doing that? Um. The, no, not I have not with real FPV, okay. but I flew an FPV simulator and I'm good for about five to 10 minutes of that. And then I got to take a break. <laughs> uh, I start to turn green. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Like yeah. I said, even like VR stuff and, and all that, when I do it, I can do the stuff okay that doesn't move. But if you're in a game where it's walking around or doing something, it just instantly makes me nauseous. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's sad. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Never tried it. I would, see, I, I love, I would love to get into FPV and trying that. Like, yeah. I just think that would be so cool. I mean, it, to, to look at the videos, like when they were doing the drone racing and they, you know, they were doing it with the oh. goggles and stuff, yeah. that looks like a blast. It does. I mean, it really does. Cause it satisfies, you know, it checks the boxes. It's competitive and I'm also flying a model, you know, so it checks, but yeah, there's no way I could do that. Yeah. So unfortunately, which is okay. Cause they're drones. Yeah. <laughs> it's still RC and it still can be fun. Yeah, that's true. But you're right. This is the RC Plane Lab podcast. So we stick with that. Yep. 
Um, Terry. Yes. I want to know what kind of airplanes do you like most? Oh. I honestly thought you were going to ask him his number again. No, I'm putting. The, I'm not even going to be the one to ask that. I'm going to okay. let you guys take All over right. for that one, whenever. Right. No, but like you know, we do balsa. I don't do much with foam. None of us actually sitting here do much with foam. Um, like, what do you like to build with? What really kind of gets you going? Um, I'm all electric, and that's something I love it. That, Really? I do. I love electric. Okay. That was it wrong. feels kind of. Yeah. No, okay. he really does. He, he, he's a huge okay. electric fan. He would have all electric if, uh, if they were, if the bigger ones were cost effective. Yes. Or, or more economical, sure. I should say. Yeah. And obviously I was involved with nitro engines as a kid. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I'm uncomfortable with them or any of that, but that started, like I said, when I started flying again, after college and when I um, moved into Texas, um, I was in an apartment. So it's not really practical to run any nitro stuff there. So <laughs> I just started experimenting with the electric stuff I had and made it work. Had no idea what I was doing and stumbled onto some successes. Mm-hmm. But this would have been the late 90s, just when electrics were starting to get popular mm-hmm. and it wasn't as much of a, a lunatic fringe. Yep. <laughs> and. So I, to me, it was a good time to get involved with that. And as a, an engineer and a person who likes to tinker, it was a good outlet for me to exercise all those things. And then as the years went by, it got easier and cheaper to do. And so I've just stuck with it. And uh, while I'm, I may get into gas at some point, I haven't yet. Oh, that was what I was going to ask. So no internal combustion engines whatsoever. Um, other than the 049 I talked about a few minutes ago, the control line stuff. No, it's... Yeah. Anything that I fly regularly is electric. I, I, I can fully appreciate that. Like I really can. Yeah, and, I do too. And that's a very coarse filter because within that all electric, it's stuff that ranges from tiny ultra micro up to, I don't know what my biggest plane is now, but of you know ten plus pounds. So it's a that's not small broad spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like, how big with electrics do you go? Because I've seen some guys that have these electric airplanes that are literally like 170 cc size air pl- or airframes that are running electric motors and batteries. To me, that's too big for electric. Yeah, I think that's well past the threshold of where <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. At that point, you're just doing it to do it. Um, I don't know what that break-even point is where gas is more beneficial, um, but... I don't know. I don't particularly have a a need for super big airplanes anyway. And I don't have a trailer for hauling stuff around. So yeah, it, I fully I, uh, understand yeah. that one. Yeah. That seems to be one of our limb facts also as this for right now anyway, is size is we don't have a way to haul the really big ones. Yeah. Although you have a really big yeah. one down here, Ron. And well, I don't have to worry about flying it cause it's not ready. True. I will cross that bridge when I get to That's it. That's true. Um, to me, I think for going from electric to gas, like gasoline, not nitro is probably the, well, and as time goes on, the, the, uh, gasoline engines are getting smaller they are. and a lot more reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say probably something the 90 size, like a 15 CC gasoline motor is probably that cutoff for me. I'd say anything over 60 size yeah. for me is I would definitely look at gasoline instead of glow or electric. Yeah. I'm an equal opportunity picker on her. I go electric gas, 
glow. It doesn't matter to me. I'll do whatever. <laughs> I do remember, Dave, you saying something about getting out of all your glow planes not that oh, long ago. Oh, I fly ago. glow a that. lot less than I do. Pretty much everything I fly anymore is gasoline or electric. Yeah. Uh, just because I don't like the mess. Well, the mess and the cost. Like to me, I, I know I keep going back to it, but it's over 30 bucks for a gallon of nitro fuel. Yeah. And depending on what you're flying, that can go by very fast. Yes. I'm the odd man out. I'm the one who prefers nitro over, I would say I prefer nitro over anything. Yeah. But yeah, I guess my days are numbered, right? Eventually it's going to be to a point where I can't afford to fly it, right? Well, you might be able to get like three or four minute flights in every two months because <laughs> right. of the price of it. But you'll, you'll and be a glow okay. plug will be $50. Oh, yeah, there's that too. Yeah. They're so. already 20 something, aren't they? Mm, I think the last time we went up to Dynamic, they were they had come down some. Oh, okay. I think they were 12. <laughs> For so, four-stroke glow plugs or just glow plugs for an in OS, general? Yeah, for an OSF plug was about 12 or 13 bucks, I think, last time. Okay. We they, they had gone up to 18. I remember that. And yeah, I, I was going to say, I thought they were about 20 when you yeah, bought the no, card. They came, of, they've come down again. Wow. I What's a Fox know. glow plug worth these days? Well, if you can find them, um, <laughs> you know, because Fox doesn't manufacture stuff anymore. It's done by uh, sure. Makoa out, by, out in uh, California, I think it is. Mm. Um, and I think last time I was on their website, I think I saw them for around 15 bucks or so okay and here's here's the scary part i know the part number for that it's 40602 602 yeah <laughs> i couldn't remember the last three but yeah i knew it was a f- you have the tattoo on your phone <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yeah. barcode so i may yeah, actually I was wondering have because some on the card that's funny yeah. we we cut you off well right I, no that's okay um you know i got a a lot by of various rc stuff uh, a few months ago and it had a handful of fox glow plugs in there so i was just yes. curious if there's any value to them well i'm sure i'm sure collectors out there if they're like in the package and stuff that want to you know create their you know vintage hobby shop display i'm sure there's guys out there that would pay a premium for those absolutely yeah interesting you just got to find them you have to find them right I mean, the, it, it, the, the same saying holds true, you know, it's worth whatever somebody will pay for it, right? Yeah. Right. If you're happy getting what you get for it and they're happy paying what they pay for it, then yeah. that's exactly what it's worth. Yeah. Well, the next thing I would like to hear Terry talk about is his favorite crash story. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, if, you, if you have a favorite one, I would love to hear it. Okay. Um, let me think about that for a second. Okay. Um, it's, all right. I'm going to entertain you with three of them, but only Excellent. one of them is actually a crash. And it's more of an anecdote than a story. Okay. Um, I was flying a little asymmetric park flyer that I designed a few years ago, flying it around the field. And uh, I don't know, I got disoriented, something happened. And next thing you know, it's behind me and headed towards the row of cars part. Oops. <laughs> and I center punched somebody's truck door and left a very nice ding in the side of it. Ouch. Um, Right. So it's actually a funny story. Um, that part is not funny. The funny part is the truck that I hit belonged to my insurance agent. No. <laughs> Save some paperwork that way. That's awesome. <laughs> that is funny. Oh, my. That made me giggle. Yeah. It did. I didn't laugh at the time. No, But of years not. later. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's the only real crash story. But I have two other interesting stories that are near crashes. Um, so very early when I started flying again, a f- friend of mine that I worked with, he had a glider. I'm trying to remember what it was, but it was like an EPP two meter type thing. And we would take turns flying it. One of us would pull it up on a, a tow rope with a pulley. So 
Um, basically, you have one end of the line staked in the ground. You have a pulley that goes through it, and the other end is attached to the plane. So basically, you get twice the speed at the airplane that the person is running with the pulley. Oh, yeah. And Never heard of that. And yeah, it, it works very well. Block and tackle. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So in this example, I was, uh, it was my turn to fly and my buddy had the pulley and he starts maybe 50 yards away just because of the length of the line. And he starts running and up it goes like it's on a high start. And at that point, at the top of the arc, I realized we had never turned on the receiver on the airplane. (laughs) So it is completely free flight at this point, but it comes off the tow line just fine. And it circled the field and came down to a beautiful landing better than I could have done. If I myself. <laughs> See, that's what happens. When and you then have... immediately following that, he said, ta-da. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that's nice. what happens when you have your surfaces nice and centered. Well, yeah. When you have your glider properly set up. That's, yeah. yeah. Okay. See, you were just um, testing the setup. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, so another very similar story is much more recent. This was at the Neat Fair two years ago, which if you're not familiar, that's an electric event up in New York that's for electric aircraft only. I had an airplane of the Hansa Brandenburg W-29, which is a unique World War I model that uh, I'm sure you've seen it, but it's a two-place airplane. It's got the pilot in front and then a cockpit in the back where the rear gunner sits. But what's unique about it is that it didn't have a vertical stabilizer on top of the fuselage. It's all beneath. Mm -hmm. And that's so that the rear gunner wouldn't shoot it off. Yep. So we had a project where probably 15 of us built these things on site, made out of sheet Depron and other things and very nice looking models. And was it my maiden flight? It might've been my maiden flight. Um, it was built with floats. So we were flying off the pond there, this field. Cool. And yeah, it was a lot of fun, a nice, uh, easy flying park flyer. And I'm maybe one or two minutes into this flight and all of a sudden it's not responding and maybe 30 seconds of wiggling sticks and trying to figure out what's going on. I looked down and figured out that my transmitter had died completely. Oh, I had not only neglected to charge the transmitter battery, (laughs) but I had turned off all the alarms that warned me I'm about to be a dummy. (laughs) And I'm not sure what I did right that day, but the bank that I was in and the power setting, I, we were videotaping it at the time. So we have exact time footage here for three minutes that airplane flew in a circle above the pond anywhere ranging from like 30 feet high up to 100 feet high (laughs) and stayed on station above us and then at some point during that three minutes i'm just standing there like slack jawed watching it waiting for it to hit a tree waiting for yeah Uh, yeah, somebody else came along it's a i grabbed my transmitter and started putting a battery in it and it's on a collision course to a tree at the moment he gets the battery in, powers up the transmitter and gets connection. No. <laughs> brings it down and lands it. That's yep. awesome. It's all it's completely pretty good. unbelievable, except that there's video footage. Yeah. So if, if you go to the RC Roundtable uh, YouTube channel, we have- Video proof. Uh, yeah, we have all of that documented. That's yeah. awesome. I will have to do that because yeah. that, is, that sounds so cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's hard to, in words, describe the the tension of the moment oh, and sure. the relief at the end. Yeah, but yeah, it, it was just crazy. Oh, I, I think we've all we all have felt that pucker factor where you're oh, just yeah. like, I I don't know what to do now. And yeah, so the, you you mentioned the transmitter wasn't. What what is your radio of choice? I'm curious. Um, 
another strange question there. Because um, I write magazine articles, reviews, I have to have a variety of transmitters because sure. back in the day when Hobbyco was still a thing, if you were reviewing a Hobbyco airplane, they wanted a Futaba radio system. Of in. course. And if you're reviewing a Horizon plane, they want a Spectrum system. In. Yep. Um, so my two main transmitters are, you guys will appreciate this, an IX-12. Nice. Yep. And then I also have a Futaba, what's the prefix on that? SG-14. So the 14 channel Futaba. I don't know Futaba. Um, Me either. Yeah. So I use that in a lot of things too. Okay. And I also have a few high-tech transmitters that I like. Nice. So yeah, um, basically I don't really have any favorites, but a little bit of everything. Yeah. Now, the ones that I don't have are the new things like the, uh, the Radio Master and the, um, what's the other, Tyrannus. Mm-hmm. A lot of people seem to like those, but I haven't dabbled in them yet. Yeah, yeah, I I can't get into the open source stuff yet because it seems like there's a lot more that goes into it, and I just want something simple that works. Right. I like to tinker, but I don't like to tinker with programming with and electronics and stuff. So yeah. yeah, I need something that's fairly simple and easy for my small brain to understand. <laughs> right. And if there's anything that I don't like about my Spectrum iX12, it's that. I think all of the Android stuff that it's equipped with has kind of lost on me. Yeah, me too. Just I, I never take advantage of it. I don't either. Yeah. But what I like about it, though, I, I get what you're saying, because, yeah, there's more radio there than I will ever use. But there are a lot of nice features with it for, like, setting pictures for your airplanes. That is so easy. Just hook it straight up to your computer and just drag photos on over. Um, I just do that with Bluetooth. Online. Okay, well, you can do that that way too, but I'm, you can't do that with like a DX8 or, you know, different, no, right, right. different uh, radios like that. But there are some things that get taken or that you have to get used to when you go over to the Android-based stuff. Like, I always thought when you first got your iX12, Tommy, I thought it was so weird that you would turn your radio on once for the day. Yeah. And you wouldn't turn it off. And it took yeah. like it takes three or four minutes to turn it on and get everything booted up and stuff. Or 12 to 15, depending. Not anymore. <laughs> Um, well, sometimes, but yeah, I mean, it's just a completely different like type of transmitter when you go to a computer one like that than what I was used to before yeah. I got mine. So I appreciate all the, all the functionality of the airware app or the yes. transmitting or the transmitting app, if you want to call it that. Yeah. I like all the programming features. I like the ease of like t- the touchscreen is, is amazing, but yeah, I, I'm with Terry. I could do without the Android stuff. Yeah, I can see that. So anyway, but it's, yeah. Okay. So Terry, do you like to build? I mean, you, you mentioned, yes. you mentioned putting together your own, uh, your own foamies, but I mean, do you, do you enjoy building? Yes and no. Okay. Um, the simple answer is I like building kits, whether it's foam or balsa and typically about 75% into it. I don't like building kits. <laughs> yes. I always start out <clears throat> excited by it and I always finish relieved that I'm finally finished. I think honestly, the I think the majority of of people who build kits or or scratch build or whatever, I think you'll find that a lot of us feel that way. Because I I know exactly what you're saying. I'll get started on a project and all excited and oh look, I'm I'm putting pieces together. And then you get to that one point, whatever it is, sanding, shaping a cowl, uh, covering, covering, you know, whatever it is, um, you get to that point and you're just kind of done. Yeah. And just wish it was done and wish it was over. I totally get it. Yeah. yeah. 
Jesus, yeah. I like to build until I get that covering stage. And I wish that was over so that I could get to the detailing stage. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's always that one point, and it's different for, you know, everybody, but there's that one thing about building that 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 you hate, and when you get to it, you're just like a... Dislike. I don't like the word hate. That you dislike well, immensely, you, perhaps. Okay. I'm trying to get Piper to stop saying hate. That so you I'm, would rather do something else instead of right. whatever this step is. Yeah. Absolutely. So... And but that's the, why if you look around here, there's plenty of airplanes at like the same stage where it's time to be sanded that I don't want to do that. <laughs> right. So I get what's it. They, what's that they say about once you have an airplane framed up, it's uh, 75% down, 75% to go. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that makes sense. I yeah, get absolutely. it. Absolutely. The framing is the fun part because you see this this airplane coming together out of sticks. Yeah. You know, pretty much. It's just goes together usually pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's fun. Speaking of sticks, yeah. which, which, by the way, stick happens to be my favorite airplane. Terry, do you have a favorite airplane? I thought you were going to ask him if he had a stick. Well, he should. <laughs> I think everybody should. Um, the answer to that one is, I have to think. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think I have a stick at the moment, but oh. I know some have passed through my hands through the years. Okay. Um, and a favorite airplane is a moving target. Yes. Nope, I get so, that. Yep. It depends on the day and it depends on what plane I'm flying. Understood. Right. Right. Yeah. Your favorite plane of the day. I, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Or more like week or you know, usually if, when there's a new airplane that's working out well, that's fun. It's like shoes. Your shoes are great until they start to get old. Then you get a new pair of shoes. and like, oh, this oh, is nice and shiny. And this, so it's kind of like that. But then you go um, back to the old shoes and you're like, my gosh, these are so comfortable. I love these. Kind of like going back to an um, old plane. Yeah, I guess there's some of that too. Yeah. I never, um, I never don't enjoy flying my stick. Like it's always, it's always fun to fly it. Yeah. I don't know. Everybody should yeah, have a stick, sense. I think. And I think the reason I've kind of given up on, and I don't say given up, why I've put mine off so much right now is I wasn't thinking I built dihedral into the wings. Ever since it'll you called, still, I know, but ever you, since you called me out fine, on that and said you should have done it flat, I just want to take a saw to the middle of it. No, and, don't do that. Just build another wing. They're easy. Well, they, they are It's easy, such I a guess. simple, yeah. I don't know. So aside, okay, so maybe not your favorite plane. Do you have a plane that you, that, that's like your go-to? Um, even that's a weird question. So I know I'm strange <laughs> and, and not having a go-to answer for that. But I tend to have models that are hot and cold. Like sure. even if it's like five or six, these are the five or six that I'm into now and I fly them. And then I just kind of morph into another five or six after that. Yeah, I get that. Um, so there are some that I tend to fly more than others. And I like strange airplanes. Okay. Yeah. And more specifically, I've been into asymmetric airplanes for a while. And it started out more as of a curiosity of how the heck do these things work and how can I design something that looks funny and still flies weird. So I've made a whole series of single motor and twin motor asymmetric planes. Mm -hmm. And I think there's probably always at least one of those with me when I go to the field. Yeah. So I've always wanted to do one of those Donier's. I can't remember the name of it, but the World War II German asymmetrical. Mm. Okay. Uh, you might be thinking of the Blomann Voss BV-141. Yeah. 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 So that was the inspiration for the first one that I did. It was a combination of that BV-141 and the Rutan Boomerang. Kind of the basic ideas of those morphed into a, an RC model. 
and it gets lots of strange looks and lots of comments, <laughs> but but it flies like a pretty normal airplane. Well, you did the yin yang, right? Was it that one? Was you? Yes. Right? Okay. Yep. Yeah, I that's was... a, a later version. That's the twin motor. Thank you. Yeah, because that was in model aviation. It was, uh, and I yeah. that really really looked cool. Yeah. And of all the things I've I've seen in model aviation, that was probably the one that I actually thought about building. <laughs> I mean, because thought about. Well, I really did. Like I was like, well, what would it take to you know? He makes you know. Terry made it look easy, you know, to put together and. And it looks like it's a blast to fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And it's really more of a concept than a specific model. Just having one tractor right. on one side and a pusher on the other side. You could apply that to whatever airframe you have laying around. Mm-hmm. Um, that Really, the basic layout is the only novel thing about it. Yeah. Well, I and dig it. it. Seems, I, I think it's cool. I, yeah. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. And that's one of those just, it gets a lot of comments and a lot of sideways looks. But it, <laughs> once you get in the air, it's pretty normal. So Terry, you've written you've written a lot of stuff for model aviation. Um, obviously, we I don't read every episode that I or every issue that I get, but uh, I try to. Do you do you have like like the range is is a huge range, right? Do you have a favorite topic that you like? Obviously, I know that you know a lot about servos and selection and, and all that stuff because of you know the stuff that we've gone back and forth on. But do you have like a favorite topic that you like to write about, or do you, do you find that you're really good at writing about this as opposed to that, but I'll do this because somebody asked me. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? There's been a few of those that I did just because the editor needs somebody to to write about this certain thing. Um, I think there's an article I did on glue one time that ugh, it was torture from beginning to end. <laughs> it's like watching glue dry. Um, right. And radio reviews, same thing. Ugh, like what yeah. the heck can you say unique about a radio system? Yeah. You turn it on, it makes the servos wiggle, blah, blah, blah. Um, but most of the model reviews that are right, I'm genuinely interested and excited to fly this airplane. Okay. Just, I don't know. Every airplane is new and interesting to me. And you know, I, I don't think I ever get bored of that. Yeah. Um, most of what I write now is uh, a column. I'm currently the electrics columnist for the magazine. Mm-hmm. So I have something every other month related to that. But even that's a pretty broad um, spectrum. And I don't know, I never seem to run out of things that are interesting that either people write in and ask about or something that I've discovered and want to share. Yeah. I don't know, it seems like there's always something new and interesting to learn. And when I learn something, my way of being excited about it is to write it and share it. Yeah. And we all appreciate that. By yeah, the way, absolutely. Because that's how we learn it too. Right. Exactly. So I was going to, you were talking about being the electric guy and that kind of stuff. I want to talk about batteries really quick and kind of see where, where we are, if we're on the same, in the same boat, like what's your biggest battery and at what point do you not want a battery bigger than that? Does that make sense? It does, but I don't know if I really have an answer to that question. I mean, my biggest one's easy. I think it's a 6S5000, and I've got a couple of those. Um, but the other part, asking about what's the largest battery I would be comfortable with, I don't know. I, I don't particularly see a limit because I have so many batteries now that are in kind of the same general area. You know, I try to be diligent with them, and I take care of them, all that, but if ever there were an incident where one of them went off, there's going to be a small nuclear explosion <laughs> in Wisconsin. Yeah. So I don't, 
particularly think it's going to matter if I limit myself on what the largest battery is. And being the nitro guy of the group, I I can honestly tell you that the battery, that they terrify me. And I I have no reasonable basis for that um, observation, but they do. They terrify me. And I have a couple of the 6S 5000s for that. And I am like paranoid that these things are going to go off. So I take all these extra precautions that probably nobody else does. You know, I have the metal box to put them in and the metal box sits in the fridge and the fridge is downstairs and the doors, you know, it's just, they terrify me because of the, the stored energy that is in those and the capability for destruction that they possess. I think being terrified is the correct response to those batteries. Mm. It is an incredible amount of energy. Yeah. Yeah. You need to respect it. And that way you don't get too comfortable and have something happen. Yeah. Like, personally, the biggest battery I have right now is only a 4S5200. I, for some reason, am fighting moving up to the 6L5000s because, like, first off, the the price on those batteries is ridiculous to me. And, like, okay, so my goal is to eventually get into actual turbines, which I know I'm going to have to go with some sort of uh, EDF, like 90 millimeter EDF or something like that to get into it. What? what why, why is that? As a transition? Yeah, as, a, as like oh, a, as trainer a trainer to kind of get okay, used gotcha. to how that works. Um, Choose mine. <laughs> well, but it's, it's not the same. I don't okay. like to fly other All people's right. planes. But what I'm saying is what, what is kind of keeping me away from that is the batteries that I would have to buy. And you can't just have one for a plane like that because you go out to the field and fly for three minutes because your battery is 150 bucks. You need several. I would say four or five easily to at least make it a decent day out there. So, yeah. Right. And you're going to have to get the good ones with the high discharge rate as well. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's kind of where I yeah. would say is my stopping point on batteries at this point. And I just, I, I have to make that leap, but I just, I'm having a problem doing it. Once you do it, it's no big deal. My, I don't feel any it's, different about my six cell. It's the money that gets me. I mean, the, my 4S batteries, I spent 50 bucks a piece on and that hurt, but <laughs> I don't know why battery, I don't like spending money on batteries. Planes, I'll spend yeah, whatever I need to, but the batteries for it to me, that's just like, that's not the fun side of things. That's a necessity that is not shiny and interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of the people I know who fly turbines and it would be a small subset of them who also fly large EDFs. So I don't know that a large EDF is necessarily a, a transition that you have to go through. Really? I, I would agree with that. Honestly, is it like a graduation point though? You don't think kind of learning how an actual EDF flies, the characteristics and all that There's stuff, would be not that much difference. It's just an airplane. You got to realize that the thrust comes out of the back. So when you jam on the throttle, you don't have that instant air blast over your elevator to fix problems. Yeah, that's the only thing you got to keep in mind. Although now some with uh, thrust vectoring, they they well, get the same sort and that of does, effect. But, yeah, yeah. I would not start off with that because well, no, that would I mean, be a step I, I, above. What I'm saying is, like, if you if you started with the a proper first turbine powered airplane, turbine turbine powered airplane, it's whatever you want. I've heard both um, ways. Yeah, I don't. I agree. I don't. I don't think you necessarily have to to transition with a foamy EDF first. Okay. Like, I mean, which saves you from buying batteries, right? Well, that saves me a bunch of money, yeah. <laughs> That's closer to turbine money, so I don't right. know. It's, well, I think the the difference is not so much the speed, it's the complexity that you're trying to get used to. 
and you want to manage the landing gear and the air brakes and the flaps and all those things. And yeah. I think there's a lot of models that give you that opportunity without big, expensive batteries. Yeah, I agree. You need a Warbird anyway. I don't. In need your collection, a you need a Warbird, which has flaps and retracts. There you go. See, and you have to manage your airspeed with those because they don't fly like a trainer. You know, they have high wing loading, which a lot of these jets have also. So, I mean, there you go. You're killing, you know, two birds with one stone. You get yourself a warbird, there's your transition, and it better be at least gas-powered, if not nitro-powered. It wouldn't be nitro. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I know. By the way, I don't know what made me think the other day. I was looking at videos online, and I saw the OV-10. Neat. When are you getting one? Oh, I can't afford that airplane. Okay. You're talking about the, the Horizon? horizon? Yeah. yeah. No, I can't afford that. Okay. And I have no way to transport it. That, that breaks down that, small. That is have not going to fit in the back of my little... Anyway. Absolutely it will. All right, Terry. I'm going to ask it because we'll Ron, Ron said he wasn't going to ask. What's your number? <laughs> okay. This number is written in chalk. Ask me again tomorrow. <laughs> it's going to be different. I understand. Um, but I counted right before uh, we came online and counting only an airplane that I could grab, charge a battery, and fly today. And the number was 38. Very nice. Respectable. Yeah, that's a very respectable. And it's not crazy. That is close to my number. He's got yeah, a few more actually, than me. Yeah, yeah. Are those mostly, uh, well, they're all electric. <laughs> I was but say. are they, would you say the majority of those are foam or or nitro? Or I'm sorry, foam or balsa? <laughs> nitro on um, the brain. It's probably a 50-50 mix. Nice. I like it. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm into is upgrading older airplanes, stuff that I get at swap meets. Oh, okay. A lot of it that interests me are the early electrics, stuff that was out in the mid-90s yeah. and late-90s, and most of that was balsa. Yeah. And what I found back then with brush motors and NICADs, you really had to design an airplane properly because yep. it wasn't going to fly on power. And so when you take those airframes that are very well designed and you put in a modern power system oh, yeah. where you triple the power and reduce the weight by half. Yeah. It's really something special. A lot of fun. Yeah. A little sporty. Speaking yeah. of those older electric airplanes, do you have any experience with the uh, Electro Streak, the old Great Plains one? Yes and no. Yeah. I have had some in and out of my hangar. Okay. And, you know, we've had some sort of sidebar conversations about that shiny. Yes. Which I think is an Electro Streak, electro streak clone. Yeah. Um, so I think Performance-wise, it's very similar. Yeah. After looking um, at them closely, I, I agree with you, with with your assessment. They they look very similar. Yeah. yeah. But what kind of experience are you referring to? Well, because I, I, I was trying to sort of key in on our conversation earlier, but uh, via email. But um, I was hoping you would have like some, you know, uh, tips or maybe a lead. I think on what he's saying I is find one. He or... <laughs> wants to either build one or purchase one. So yeah. I think he was curious as to whether or not you had information on that yeah is that right uh, yeah thanks okay ron's always <laughs> so good can, at getting right to the point <laughs> right well you can probably find plans sure. somewhere um i forget who designed it oh shame on me um but you know it used to be a great planes kit and they had a few different variations of it including an arf with a blow molded fuselage yeah um you I may remember get that lucky one. and find one of those <laughs> Okay. Um, one time I walked into a hobby shop and there was one that had been framed up and covered, but never finished. And I took that home for 20 bucks. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And That's I ended the up kind of deal I'm a friend in Texas. Yeah. Oh. Well, of course I'll um, tear the covering cause I want it, you know, lit a lot like yours. Right. Yeah. So anyway, 
And but like anything that was sold by Tower Hobbies, they're you know, shoved in attics and basements all around the country. Sure. So they're, they're not terribly rare. Yeah. So I think if you look hard enough, maybe put a wanted ad out there on RC groups or Facebook classifieds. That's a good idea. Yep. You might. We keep we keep looking up at our buddy Brian's place up in uh, Leonore, and I've not seen one come in there yet. So. Yep. Speaking of that, have you been there yet, Terry? I have not. I can't wait for so, you to see that place. <laughs> yeah. From what you've described, it sounds like my kind of joint. Yeah. Where oh, yeah. Every nook and cranny is filled in by some sort of airplane. And, and it is. It is. I mean, yeah, that's like, no joke. Like, and it's, and it's only getting more packed, like, the longer we sit here. Yeah. Like, it seems like every time we go up there, there's less and less space to turn around. You know, there's airplanes everywhere, and it just makes us smile. Makes yeah. us happy. Yeah, so you you moved to Wisconsin from New York, right? Right. So I was in Texas for, what was it? Well, I was in Houston for 16 years out of college. Then I was in Lubbock, Texas for four years. Then in Buffalo for five years. We just left Buffalo for Green Bay. And if I have anything to say about it, I'm never moving again. Yeah. Ever. It's not fun. I don't enjoy it either. Especially with fragile little toy airplanes. At <laughs> <Yes>. 38 <laughs> well, of them. Yeah. I was yeah. Well, say. no. Well, I have, there's an asterisk there. 38 is the number that's ready, <laughs> ready to fly to go. now. Yeah. I understand. There's an embarrassing number of other projects <laughs> in all stages. I understand completely. <laughs> yeah. And we will drop it because... Yep, I'm not going to... Yep, yeah. we won't talk about that. <laughs> you know, I said embarrassing. It's really not embarrassing. Those are the fun things, the, the possibilities of all that. Oh, sure. yeah. It's hard to get yeah. rid of them. It really is because there's that someday in the back of your brain. Yes. That, yes of course, I'm going to get to that. Yep. Yeah. And stupid me, I, I am a pack rat, but unfortunately, every now and then I find a use for a thing I've been keeping around forever. Mm-hmm. So it, it only justifies my pack rat tendencies. Yeah. I'm the same way. I have a, a what I call my shop, but it's an outbuilding um, that is just stuffed to the brim with a, stuff to be used later. Which I always find a use for something that I have out there. And it's one of those things, the more you kind of walk or work around and doing, <coughs> excuse me, I don't want to say weird things, but different projects that are kind of off the wall, that's when you need those weird things that you didn't throw away before. And that's why I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, it's a good philosophy. Yeah. It pays off. <laughs> and dividends later. So the other asterisk, asterisk two on that is <laughs> I moved uh I guess two months ago now, and there's a lot of stuff still in boxes. So there's perhaps some ultra micro stuff or other things that got glossed over because of the, the chaos. <laughs> that you don't remember? Shop. Yeah, but I, I think 38 is a good round number. Um, so do you, okay, so we have started keeping a list of our airplanes to kind of keep an eye on what we have. Like I have a bad memory, so I also have on that list like, what battery it takes and all that kind of stuff. Do you do anything like that? Or can you just remember everything you have? Oh no, it's impossible to remember. And actually one of the articles I wrote not too long ago, um, is a idea where I made these, they're like placards that you could, I made a template that's in word. You can fill in all the information, like what's the radio that it uses? What's the memory slot? Uh, what battery does it use? Where's the CG which switch does the landing gear or the flaps and what's the, what are things I need to remember about takeoff or landing or funny behaviors. Hmm. Um, so all those reference type things, 
I'll print one for each model and then laminate it. And Amazon sells these lamination pouches for ID badges. So perfect size for that, like a hmm. two by four or three by five, something like that. And it's already got the slot built into it for a lanyard. But I put a number 64 rubber band through that slot and I can put it around the propeller or some other part of the airplane. Oh, yeah. And so I have a reference there. Hmm. And it goes around the propeller most of the time. When I go to fly it, it goes around the handle of the transmitter. And so the, that's my way of keeping the basic notes yeah. for most of my airplanes. That's a really, really good system. That is a good idea. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sure beats my spreadsheet on my phone. Because that I always right. forget to update or look at before I go to the field. Well, I update, right. but I just, it's, that would be nice because it's actually on the airplane. Right. So when you go to get it, you don't have to look up stuff. Yeah. That's a good idea. Right. Huh. And since it's laminated, when I'm at the field, if I have to fix something, I can leave squawks on. I can write on there with a Sharpie. Yeah. And then when I get home, just wipe it off with alcohol yep. once I fix it. I like that. So it's proven to be pretty handy. Huh. That's why I like conversations. You pick up on a lot of stuff that I never thought of before. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. I think that article might be in the online version of the magazine. If I find it, I'll send you a link. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, awesome. perfect. I'd appreciate that. Cool. So, is that a is that an Excel product or a Microsoft product? I mean, did you design that? that like in in uh, in Excel, or is it just something you? Oh, it's a Word document. Okay, all right. It's just a table size for those little lamination pouches. Gotcha. And I think I had it sized so on one sheet of eight and a half by 11 paper, you get six of the different things. You just cut it up. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I'm probably going to I'm probably gonna use that. I might. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to steal your idea. That's genius. See? But see, now with, with what we have on our spreadsheet, we have that information already, though, so it's easier to do. True. It's just cut and paste. <laughs> yeah, and I would be lying if I said that I have one of those for every model. I Probably totally the get more that. popular ones I do, but you know, yeah. some of the more obscure ones I haven't gotten around to yet. Yeah. Well, and probably some of the older ones are probably not bound to the IX-12 or the Futaba or whichever. So, you know, some of that information you may not even have. Yeah. So. Right. I like it. So with the, with the move to Wisconsin, have you found a new club yet? I have. There is a club here in Green Bay and I have joined them and been out to the field a couple times now. So, Yeah. Good deal. What, uh, like how big of a club is it? Oh, I don't know. If I had to guess, I'd say it's around 40 members, but I might okay. be completely wrong there. Yeah, that seems to be about normal, I yeah, think. That's, that's a good size club. Active members, you would say, or just 40 members total? I think active. Because there's a difference, right? Because like oh, yeah. our club, I forget what the what the roster is, but as, as far as active members, it's probably less than 20. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the last time, and it's been several years, the last time I saw the roster like or out the field, there was like 80 members. Yeah. Of which, yeah, you go out there, you might catch 20 people. Yeah. Like in a in a normal rotation. So, so and it's just one of those things, just unfortunately, that's, yep. that's just how things are going. And, you know, I've, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I've been kind of a gypsy the last few years moving from place to place. But in all those moves, RC is kind of the stabilizing force for me. I get to this new city, there's a club there, you go into the club and bada bing, it's already people you, like we started the show with, you feel like you already know people, you've got that common bond and it's just easy to acclimate when you've got that, you know, that precedent already set. Yeah. yeah. The camaraderie that comes with having a, a common background. Yep. Sure. With, you go in and you speak the same language already. Yeah. With these little toys that, you know, <laughs> are like so cool. Right. They really are. So Terry, 
I'm going to touch on the servo conversation. So selecting servos for airplanes. I mean, you ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different opinions, right? But you've put what I consider a, a, a fair amount of work into boiling it down. And like, so like, what I really want to know is how much time did you actually spend on putting that information together? What, and what I'm talking about is um, <laughs> you, the, you did all the research, you read all the, you went out online to, to actually figure out, well, is there a formula? So like how long, like, cause it's actually really useful information, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're giving me credit for something somebody else did. Well, am I? I thought you I sent. So. You, I thought you sent me the uh, the spreadsheet in our to our RC Plane Lab email. Am I mistaken? Um, Maybe I'm if mistaken. I sent you a spreadsheet, and this was a few months ago, so pardon yeah, my memory, it's been a while. And this would have been pre-move. It's not one that I generated, but it would have been one that, one that I found. found. Okay, and I'm not even sure that I found it. Okay. Well, it was like a two or three way or maybe even a three or four way conversation. Cause I know the question was asked by someone and I thought, I thought you were the one that answered that. My apologies. Um, yeah, I remember being part of the conversation and I remember the general answer was, Oh, okay. It, it's starting to come back to me. The rust is shaking <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, I had asked, um, a few people that, you know, friends in the hobby, if they knew, um, of articles that would explain basically what's the a logical scientific strategy for choosing right. a servo for a specific application. And the initial response was that no, such an article had never been written. And then at some point I found an old, I think model airplane news article that covered it with some basic strategies, but not necessarily formulas. Right. Gosh, I'll have to bring up those old emails and see where we left off. Man, I mean, um, that was so long ago. It I was remember. a while ago, but I, I just remember that, like, hey, we we went really, really deep into the into the weeds, and then at the end, we we sort of discovered, oh, well, yeah, standard servo is good for you know good for this size sport type you know airplane. So the it's so the servo manufacturers, they're they're marketing their servos correctly. It's just that, you know, maybe we're not using them correctly. Does that make sense? Yeah. And there's probably a lot of that. And I would, in my experience, I think most people over servo than under servo. Right. But exactly. Um, I, I've seen other examples. Yeah. And now while you were talking, I pulled up <laughs> one of the old emails. The The person who asked the question was Ron Struss, somebody okay. who listens to both our podcasts. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so he posed that question to you and I. Right. Um, but yeah, and I you done, and you and you had the answer because I had like my my answer. I think I'm not exactly. It's been a while ago, but I I think my <laughs> answer was basically like, well, refer to the manufacturer's recommendations. You know, look in the manual for the airplane. That'll tell you what uh, you know what the torque requirements are or speed requirements or whatever, and then match that up to the servo manufacturer's specifications. And then and then you, I thought you provided the uh, the in depth detail you know, as far as a uh, servo selection and, and theory. And I mean, it went, it went very deep. Okay. We'll have to dig through the old yeah. emails and see where, where it turned out. Yeah. But I, I want to say it, in the end, I still feel like there was a lot of, because it feels good. It was part of the answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, Honestly, that's what I do most of the time. Like a lot of my <laughs> models, they get an H a high tech HS 55 because 
that's what I put on airplanes the size and they've always worked. So why wouldn't it now? Yep. Yeah. Go with what you know. Right. And you know, if it's particularly fast, maybe I'll consider a a higher torque servo or something else, but right. uh, Yeah. It's just, yeah. The article, the article went into, to, uh, control surface loading and, and how that changed with airspeed. I mean, it was like a it's this in-depth thing that was really interesting reading only to come to the conclusion at the end is, yeah, just put in the standard servo. <laughs> don't over, don't over servo it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right, right. Was this the one where the, the author of that article had made a jig that he mounted on a pickup truck? Exactly. To measure. That's the oh, one okay. I was, yeah. Yeah. And Sorry, I, yeah, and I think you found that article actually. And, and, and submitted that, you know, as, uh, as part of the conversation, but it was just interesting. And I thought maybe we could talk about it, but <laughs> my memory are. is Sorry failing. To disappoint no, you. that's okay. My memory is failing also. And I'm maybe I'll prepare better next time. <laughs> yeah. But as often as that decision is made on a daily basis, it is a relatively undocumented thing. It's a, it really is. a black art that, you just do it because either the manual says to do it or right. like I said, I, I've, I've done it on the last 50. So of course it's going to work. Sure. Well, and the problem is you ask five pe- or five different people what they would use. You get five different answers. Yeah. So right. yeah, you want to go to an overpowered servo situation. I was supplied with a high tech 645 MG for a throttle servo on a repair job. Oh, that's a little overkill. A little bit. I don't know servos and I even know that. Well, Dave, you have to overcome the, you know, the drag and the linkage, you know, because not everybody sets up their throttle servo, you know, push like, rod situation. I kept digging through the bag drag. of stuff he brought me. It's like, where's your throttle servo? Oh, yeah, it's, it's that one that's in there. I was like, you sent me a 645. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll put it in there. Wow. And, and often the right servo was the one you have. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Yeah. That's kind of where I am too. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I like cheaper servos, but I don't want to get bit. So, well, it's interesting you say that because to me, the, the bigger question that should be asked is, do I go name brand or do I go Amazon slash Hobby King? Well, we sort of learned our lesson with, with Amazon servos. I feel like we learned a lesson. I do too. We did. We, we chose some Amazon uh, standard size servos. That were rated well. That were, yeah, that had good reviews and they would not, well, of the six that I bought, five of them would not center. Of the eight that I bought, eight of them would not center. Yeah, so... Lesson wow. learned. Yeah. yeah. And, and they were different brands. Like, we bought different brands, too, because well, we wanted which, to try something different. But yeah. I think they were all... They had different labels, but I'm yeah, same pretty re-branded. sure they were the exact same servos. But but what's your thought on that one, Terry? Um, on the Park Flyer side stuff, I'm a little bit more flexible on it. Like, if I don't usually buy the, the no-name cheapo stuff, but because I do a lot of swap meets and things like that, I still get a bunch of them sure. in my hands and mm-hmm. that's fine. I'll use them. And in my experience, they're either good when I get them or they're dead when I get them. I haven't seen much difference in them dying sooner than the name brand servos, but there's just a higher percentage of dead ones on arrival. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I- at that size, the risk of going bad is much lower than on a, a larger airplane that's using a standard size servo. Yeah. So I'm often willing to take that risk. Sure. Yeah. See, and that's where I kind of am like, okay, so we were talking about the big yak I have before. Um, I'm in the, you know, okay, Tommy always makes fun of me for this. I left it out in my trailer. I, <laughs> I built a small trailer a long time ago. Wasn't sealed very well. It sat outside for a few years. 
and had a little bit of water damage. So where I am now is trying to decide how do I want to bring this back to being able to be flown? What servos do I want to use? As in the ones that are in the JR8711s are great servos. But Horizon doesn't actually work on them anymore, so they won't check them out. They won't go over them for me, um, which sucks, by the way. And so now I'm trying to figure, do I stick with those that, yes, I can bench test them and see if they work, which they do. Do I trust those, or do I spend two, 250 bucks on each servo when I need eight of them? I wonder what diagnostics would they do on that anyway? Well, I had to send one in a while ago. Um, this has been several years ago, obviously when they worked on them and whatever diagnostics they ran, they figured out something was wrong with, I think it was the board if I remember right, but they ended up just replacing all of the internals for me for nothing, no charge, nothing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious too. Do they put it on an oscilloscope and run it through a, a range of motion? Yeah. I don't, yeah, like, I wouldn't know. Well, like how would you, I would be interested in knowing what they actually do to a servo. That would be a good go question. Through. We should ask sometime. We will. Mm-hmm. Someday. One of these days. Well, for me, I'm typically, I'm going to put a servo on a servo tester, and if it centers and if it doesn't slip when I put resistance against it, it's it's good to go. See, that's, that's what Tommy's told me, too, that that's kind of yeah. how he does it, and then he trusts them. But, man, I just, right. I have a hard time doing that. Yeah, but you know, then again, I'm not using two hundred dollars servos, so <laughs> right. that, that's a whole other ball of wax. Well, I've never bought those. Neither new. am I. <laughs> so those were used when I bought them because, yeah, the thought of spending that much money on a single servo just makes me a little nauseous too, for a toy that's getting flung around in the air. Right. Well, but I mean, do you need that much servo? Well, I don't know. It's not like I'm flying three D. So I mean, with this goes back to that whole theory of you know how much servo is enough. You don't three D it. No. It's not a 3D, really. It's not a 3D airplane. I don't think it would be capable. So you're not going to be putting the sort of, of loads, like swinging a huge, huge control surface from full deflection one way to full deflection. You're not going to be flying it that way. So do you yeah. need that much servo? I don't know. You know, would, would a high-tech maybe 79 or whatever they are, 79, 85, whatever, for, that are $100 less, would that suffice? I think it would. Probably. So, I mean, anyway. That's a hill to cross when we yeah, get there. exactly. But. Derry, you said a couple things, though, that, that have piqued my interest really quick. I wanted to bring up swap meets. Do you enjoy swap meets, then, I take it, as much as we do? I do. Yeah. I really do. And I'm lucky that I tend to be after the stuff that nobody else <laughs> bats an eye at. Yeah. Yeah, because you like, like the, the unique old stuff. dusty wrecks. Yeah. That's kind of how Tommy is, too. Yeah, me, too. He goes in for the old uh, uh, nitro engines that, like, I look at it, I'm like, oh, that's... It looks like every other one. He's like, Ew, no, gross. this is special. This one was made from 19 blah, 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 to blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, that's what you do. I mean, you dork out and I do. it's awesome, but it makes no <laughs> sense to me. No, I get it. But yeah. And so that that's kind of the cool thing when you go to places like that where people literally go just to clean out their closets, their attics. Yeah. And you can find a lot of And that's of cool the kind stuff of stuff there. I like to look for. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. what kind of and stuff you want to put in your closets. Exactly. You well, have to be careful not to geek out in front of them. And lose yeah, your and that's, that's hard to do sometimes, especially when I see something really, really unique or something that I've, you know, maybe had when I in my youth. And here's another one. You know, it's hard sometimes not to get excited. That's right. that's where I fail. <laughs> I mean, like when when we went to Ohio, um, you do a quick walkthrough, you know, to kind of see what's there. Right. I I am terrible at that because I see something and I want to take it with me then because it might be gone later. Yeah, 
I mean, there's always that risk. It might, you, you know, when you come back, it might be gone. Um, but valid strategy. Yeah. 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 I don't know. But that's also a good strategy not to go home with a car full of stuff. Which we did, and that was awesome. <laughs> and that was fun. I'm happy with that. I enjoy standing in the parking garage watching you guys figure out how to get that in there. <laughs> hey, we, we and we to did. Work. Yeah. We did. That was awesome. Couldn't see out the back window, but that's okay. What uh, You're talking about Toledo? Toledo, yeah. yeah. Have you been yeah, to that that's one? That's one I, ha- I have not. So now that it's kind of reborn, I really need to get there. Well, we should go next year. So if you, um, I'm just going to warn you, if you go and you run into guys. He was going to answer. I said, oh, we I'm should sorry. go next year. I was trying to set a date. Okay. Oh, well, as you asked, I was bringing up a, a browser <laughs> to see how far away it is. Because oh, yeah. I'm not sure how much of a drive that is. It's probably yeah, I was about say the same probably for you as it, maybe even less for you. For you. What are we, I don't remember what we are. I think are. we were at, what, nine-ish? Does that sound right? Oh, really? No, it was six and a half. Six I was going to say, I thought it was under seven. All right. But yeah. Yeah, for him, he's going to have to come down then over. Oh, yeah. He'll probably have to go through Chicago. Well, I got seven through Chicago. Seven hours and 10 minutes. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah. See, that's if I had bad. a fast boat or an airplane to get across <laughs> yeah. Michigan, that would make it a lot quicker. Yeah, that'd yeah. make it a yeah. lot faster. Yeah, but it's not yeah. that much further than us. No. So what I was going to say was, I'm going to warn you, Terry, that if you go and you run into folks that have been there for the old Toledo show when it was the Weak Signals show, they will all tell you, well, it's not what it was. But for us, it was our first time being there and we had a blast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So now granted, you know, there weren't as many manufacturers there doing their displays and, you know, trying to sell their stuff, but I still had a very good time when I was there. So, yeah, I had that same experience. I've been to both of the AMA expos when there were AMA expos, the, okay. the one in New York and then the one near LA. And I heard the same thing both times. Well, you know, back in the nineties, you, know, right. you couldn't even stand in here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I had sympathy with them for that, but I was still having a great time. Right. So. Yeah, I, I appreciate what's still there Me too. while recognizing that yeah, maybe it was more back then. Yeah. Well, from what I understood back then with the Toledo show is it was more of a vendor showcase and yes. less of a swap meet. Whereas now it's more, you know, less on the vendor side of things. And there's just so much stuff there swap meet wise. And yeah. that's what I was going for. So, yeah, I was OK with right. that. Yeah, me too. So and I guess I had to go in that direction because there's. Really, the internet takes care of all the, the new product releases now. Right. Yeah. It's kind of sad, but that's kind of how things happen. Yeah. It's instantaneous knowledge now. Right. I mean, as yeah. soon as something comes out, you know, because you have an email. Right. That somebody's telling you, hey, this is our new yeah. product that just came out. Yeah. Back when, back, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to go down that road. <laughs> like, I don't even know what swap meets are around Wisconsin. Is there anything big up there? Um, I don't know what's big. So far, I've been to an event in Fond du Lac, which is a little bit south of Oshkosh. Um, that was a very big event. I was really surprised. That was about a month ago. Um, lots of big warbirds and other stuff there. Um, I didn't participate in that, but I did go there and spectate and take some pictures. And so I'm hoping to go back to that one next year as a participant. And most recently, I went to a swap meet in Oshkosh, and it was on the grounds of the EAA Museum there. Oh, cool. Yeah, they've got sort of a pavilion uh, off to the side of the museum, and nice little swap meet there. I picked up a sailboat. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, RC sailboat, to be clear. Sure, sure. That's actually where I I went first. I I went to RC for some reason. I did, too. Yeah, okay. Right. So, and the house that I'm at now in Wisconsin, we're on a, a small lake. I I don't know 
I don't have a gauge for lake size, but I would guess it's a couple acres. So a little small size thing. Yeah. And so of course I need more RC boats to <laughs> well, play of course. with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what else have I been to? Actually, I went to a, a buddy of mine, Lee Ray from the show. He likes to haunt the online auctions and he came ah, across I've heard an of estate. That. Yeah. He came across an estate that was actually in Wisconsin, not too far from me. That was just chock full of RC stuff. So he got me tuned into that and there was some stuff that he wanted. And he's like, if you're willing to go get it, then I'm going to bid on this stuff. And then when we meet up, meet up at Oshkosh next summer, we'll, we'll hand it off. And so he uh, bid on some stuff and got it. And at the same time, I bid on some stuff. And I got some really neat things. Uh, the rare 90s and early 2000s electrics that I like. Mm-hmm. There was some of that in there. And a big stash of Depron foam. Oh. So, yeah, hard to get stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a, another RC adventure I've been on since I've been here. Um, oh, I went to another event in... Beloit, which I guess is near Madison. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've kind of, since I've been here, I've really tried to dive in and get involved yeah. with the stuff going on around here and you know, just experience what there is to experience because sure. there is very much a building season and a flying season. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Uh, trying to use every minute of flying season that I can. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're about done with our flying season now, by the way, tonight is supposed to be 25 degrees. Yeah. I hate to hear that. Cause I only have a few left on the spreadsheet to fly. Yeah. I've, I've given up. I'm not yeah, going to, but there's like, it's been so windy lately. It really Like has. it's been ridiculous. Yeah. We've had like 25, 30 mile an hour winds here. I don't know yeah. what's going on with it that. It was gusting to 30 yesterday. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so going into building season, what do you got on the bench? Um, that's a good question. So I mentioned that I just picked up some stuff at estate sale and swap meet. So, you know, I do kind of make a mental list of this is what's coming next. And then this one's after that. And then a new project comes in, <laughs> a shiny new thing. And that somehow it jumps to the front of the line or what often happens is like, Oh, this will, this will just take a minute. I'll tighten these screws and swap the prop and all that. And then once you dig into it, you're like, Oh, well, maybe I can do this and tweak it this way. And it becomes a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer your question, one of the things that I picked up at that estate sale was an auto gyro mm, okay. and it had been flown and crashed and I'm making repairs on that. So I want to get that one airworthy. I would assume to fly in the springtime. And also I've had this kit for an Eindecker, a 100 inch wingspan Eindecker. Mm. That was made by SR Batteries. Dave just raised his eyebrows. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the that's nice Dave's one. language. Yeah, yeah. At the time, it was a very um, sought after kit. They used a lot of carbon fiber, and it was when stuff was first starting to be laser cut. And anyway, I managed to find one of those at an estate sale, even when I still lived in Houston. So I've been sitting on this thing for a long time, oh, wow. moving it from place to place <laughs> to place. Yeah. Um, so. I really want to get that built. And that one might be the transition from electric to gas. Yeah. I'm not sure yet. It's designed for electric, but a lot of people ended up going with like a 20cc gasser on there. A lot is a no 23s on those. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got a Ryobi 26cc, a weed whacker engine that had been converted to <laughs> an RC airplane engine. Mm-hmm. So I, this may be the one that makes me pull the trigger on that. 
that we'll would see. Yeah, that would be a that would be a great uh, transition airplane to to gas. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of those. They all fly very nicely. Yeah, um, yeah I've never heard anybody say anything bad about right. the kit as a build or as a flying right. model. Yep. So I'm excited for it. And it's a hundred inch span with a I forget what the cord is like fourteen inch. Yeah, it's that's a, not small. It's a sizable wing. Yeah. 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 And but it does break down. I think each wing panel comes off, and so then you've got a a big fuselage and then some fairly bulky wing panels, but. I can still transport it. I drive a Ford Flex. It'll still fit in that. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, no problem. Oh, yeah. 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 I actually like those. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of yeah. room in there for what they are. Yeah, right. Oh, the Ford Flex? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a kind of a boxy thing, but, you know, people think Volvo station wagons are cool, too. So <laughs> I some, think they're Some cool. people do, yeah. I, <laughs> I would drive a station wagon if, if they, you know, were popular still. Yeah, I could see doing that, actually. Mm-hmm. I'd be able to fit more cruiser. stuff in it. What's that? I would do a Vista Cruiser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the family truckster. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I actually drove a minivan for several years, and you could pile a whole bunch I'm of airplanes in a minivan. There is no shame in driving a minivan, especially oh, if you're in the in the you know in the model airplane, you know, hobby. I I actually was gonna buy a minivan before I bought the car that I have now. Just because, like the Dodge, you know, the Chrysler minivans yeah. with the oh, stow and go. You they're can, nice. Those seats go flat and you can literally fit an eight foot piece of. It's still a minivan. Well, yeah, but. That's all I can say. It's I just cannot bring myself to drive a minivan. It's an I'm, excellent airplane transportation vehicle. And they get No matter how mileage. practical they are, they're still a minivan. Uh, these guys. Yeah, what are the women at the flying field think? When you pull up <laughs> <laughs> they would oh. think I am so cool. All none of them. So I, so I drive a four-wheel drive minivan known as an Expedition, but I can't afford to drive an Expedition. That way too much gas. So, but that's what? I'm <laughs> just nothing. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I know you guys are in Illinois. We are. Specifically where? We are almost right smack dab in the middle. Yep. We are Springfield, Illinois. Um, okay. Actually, I'm just east of Springfield, but nobody knows Mechanicsburg. So I say Springfield because we're about, well, I'm about 15 minutes uh, east of that. Um, so, so we're 100 miles from St. Louis and 200 from Chicago. That's what I was going to say. We're about three hours from Chicago and two hours from St. Louis or so, right? Okay. So yeah, hour and a half, Chicago's hour and a half. our midway point. I'm just over three hours from there. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yep. So. Yeah. We should find a swap meet or something in Chicago. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I would think there'd be something. Wouldn't yeah, St. Charles is really active up there. I bet they got yeah. something. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. Or like I said, if you ever make it a little bit farther south to Brian's. Right. I think that's a four-hour drive for me. I know I looked it up. Yeah. Uh, like four okay. and change. So yeah, a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit more. Well, a lot. Almost double, actually. Or over double for what it would take us. Yeah, to it takes there. us about an hour and 45 to an hour or two hours, right? Yeah, yeah. right at two. Well, with the trailer, it takes me right at two hours. Yeah. So, Are you taking yeah, the trailer? I get to Chicago week? every now and then. So I need to figure out a way to extend a Chicago stay and give myself <laughs> a round robin. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, you will, you will not be disappointed. Yeah. Like if you like swap meets, you will love Brian's place. Yeah. And like I said, seriously, right. if you make it down that way, let us know. We'll make a trip up. And yeah, for sure. It'd be awesome to go there. Oh, yeah. I always buy something when I'm there. You never know what you're going to walk out with. <laughs> That's true. Right. But. Yeah. And I realized not long after moving up here that I'm just a little bit south of Balsa, USA, about an hour south. You're say you're not far from Marinette, are you? Oh. Uh, I thought they were Eau Claire. Marinette. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, I think technically they're um, Michigan, but Upper Peninsula, which I'm only just now figuring all that out. <laughs> right. <laughs> the Upers. <laughs> yeah. Up north, as they say. Up north. <laughs> yep. Pier de Nord. Yeah, yep. I just came from up there. I had a weekend trip up in uh, Three Lakes, Wisconsin, so I'm kind of Oh, I don't know there. where that is. Uh, so you do know where Eagle River is? Not a clue. Okay, so Eagle River is, uh, how about uh, Appleton? You know where that's at? Yeah, so it's uh, just a little bit south of me. Okay, so, well, if Appleton is a little bit south of you, then Three Lakes is probably directly, I would say, west from you. Okay, so, you know, Appleton's about no, 45 minutes south-southwest of me. Oh, okay. And yeah, you are I'm looking at a map here, but... Yeah. All right, so you were in my neighborhood. Roughly, yeah. Uh, w- yeah okay. w- within a couple hundred miles, probably, but... Anyway, yeah. like closer than that, but I love Wisconsin. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful country. It's been years since I've been up there, actually. Yeah, we went up and vacationed up there probably 10, 15 years ago, and yeah, it was very nice. Yeah, right. yeah. In the two months I've been here, I, I really like it. So I hope what, that trend what made you decide to go there as opposed to you know anywhere else? Well, that, that, sounded, that sounded bad, did. but that's not. What it I sounded terrible. <laughs> um, without getting into too much detail, it's the same thing that. Uh, persuaded us to move from Houston to Lubbock, Lubbock to Buffalo, and then Buffalo to Green Bay. It's my wife chasing her career goals and dreams. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I think we're settled here for now, knocking on wood. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Cause you don't it. want to move again. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> right. And no sane person would. Yeah. Right. But I do have a question for you guys. So I mentioned that now I'm a little bit North of Oshkosh and that's something I've never been to. And now that I'm here, actually, I moved here right after the the EAA event this year. Um, so I'm planning to go next year. Is that something that you guys have done or regularly do? Have never done it, and I really would like to. Yeah, it's actually, uh, yeah, I, I don't think any of the three of us have, have been to, to AirVenture. Been very, very close, but yeah. never actually made it. I know Reggie goes every year. Yeah, and we're actually, uh, we, we were kind of toying with the notion of, of making a big trip up there uh, for next year's next year's show. And I, I would really like to make that happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at my compatriots here. Um, I, I think that would be a really good experience. And I think it would be worth taking all of this up there and, uh, you know, doing a show from there. I think it'd be really cool. Maybe. I could see doing I'm trying that. to get Ron outside of his comfort zone. Yeah, he is. I want to take, like, he's we, pushing. We've taken the show on the road exactly one time in the, well, well, two over two years that we've been doing this now. That was Toledo? Well, no. No. I couldn't even convince him to do that. We took the stuff with us and we didn't end up recording. No, there. we there was some oh we didn't have time. We tried to, but there was something going on that we didn't have a chance to set up. I don't remember what it was. At any rate, the only sure. the only one we've done was at Brian's and I'm I really think oh, that right. it would be a lot of it would be a hoot <laughs> to take the show on the road to an event or or to Oshkosh and actually Record an episode, or even heck, you know, okay, broadcast it live. I think it would. I think it, you know. Oh yeah, we do so great our, with live. I think all <laughs> First five one worked fine. <laughs> all five of our listeners might enjoy that. Okay, <laughs> and just saying. You know, I, for your benefit, I just brought this up on maps. It's a little over five hours for you guys to get up there, and yeah. with a few twists and turns, you could probably detour through dynamic balsa. Well, absolutely. <laughs> if, of course, if you, you need could. more motivation on the way home. Well, I, let's be clear. I don't need any more motivation. Like I really, really want to go up there, and I really, really want to take the show up there. And but, but yeah, yeah a side trip to uh, 
like you said, a, a couple of twists and turns with a with a detour to dynamic balsas, like that's kind of a given. Yeah, I could see. When is that, by the way? When is first week in August? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's. And usually up in Wisconsin, the weather is beautiful. It doesn't get hot like up there, like it does down here. The humidity is. I don't know. <laughs> not like here. I mean, yeah, they may have had a few days in the nineties this year, but the, nowhere near the heat and humidity that we get down here. Nor okay. the nor I, the stretches of time. I so, believe you. I guess. I'm just saying. No, I'm. In. I would. If, if we want to do that, I'm in. Like I would do that. Yeah. So Terry, I think we're going to try to make that happen. Okay, good. So if somehow we're all complete losers and we don't find a meeting point between now and AirVenture, then that's our backup plan. I there like we it. go. Yep. By that time, that should be our what third time meeting or something like that, yeah, right? I would hope so. Yeah, we're so close now. It's like we're just driving across the street. Right. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you that drive up uh, 39 up to Leonore does not get any easier. I'm just saying. No, you're right. That it is gets kind of boring. Boring stretch of road. Yeah, I agree. But the so anyway. destination is worth it. So Terry, this has been fun. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I I can't speak for everybody, but uh, I really appreciate your input uh, to the Model Aviation Magazine. I read. Like I said, I don't read every episode or every every uh, issue, issue, but uh, when I see that it's uh, you know that it's written by you, I always I always read it. So and now I get to say I talked to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but anyway, I just wanted to say that I, I appreciate your input to that uh, to that magazine. Yeah. Well, thanks. I appreciate the feedback. And for anybody anybody who's listening and has ever considered writing an article of their own, there's no magic to it. If you have an idea about something, shoot off an email to the editor. They'll probably want you to write it. They are often starved for content. And I have no special qualifications for this. I just <laughs> one day said, hey, can I write an article about this? And they said, sure. Yeah. So th that's as difficult as it is to get involved with writing for the magazine. Yeah. Well, so, obviously you have a you have a, a very good mastery of the English language, which is something I lack. So, uh, but I'm sure if they if they have decent editors, uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> they can fix they could probably make it happen for just about anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say so. Um, I think the most important part is a, a good idea that you're willing to share. Cool. Outside of that, they can pull together the resources. The good idea is the hard part sometimes, though. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There's a lot um, of times. Sometimes I, they just come to you, right? Yeah. I like guess sometimes, that's true. sometimes you're probably, Terry, I'm talking to you. You're probably sitting at the bench one day and you're like, you know, somebody ought to talk about, oh, well, this is a good idea. I should talk about Maybe this. Maybe I'm that somebody. Maybe I'm that somebody. I seem to know a lot about this. You know, um, I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> the thought of claiming expertise on something ever crosses my mind. Because, you know, like I mentioned before, mostly the things I write about are things that I knew nothing about, but piqued my interest. So I decided to dig into it and learn about it. Okay. So usually when I write about something, I'm regurgitating what I learned from other people. Every now and then it's something that I kind of did the science on my own and did experiments and figured things out. But usually it's, I'm just the messenger. Hmm. Well, well, that's great. <laughs> but you're assembling the message from uh, sometimes a, a cluttered Maybe uh, non-organized, yeah. uh, you know, com you know, pile of information that you present in a manner that's easy to uh, digest. I agree. Well, I hope you're correct. Well, I think. <laughs> I mean, all the stuff I've read it, it makes perfect sense to me. So, and like I said, I enjoy your input. So, 
there. Well, thank you. A very nice end to a very fun show. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely going to have to work out a time and and meet at Brian's. Terry, I think you'll love it. Yeah. Terry, thank you very much for being on. It was a blast. Um, I'll give you the last word. Anything you want to say? Um, thank you for inviting me. That's it. This, <laughs> this was fun to do. Even if it did take weeks to pull together. Yeah. Huh, that's, that's on my, that's on me. All right. Yeah. yeah. People get sick. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah. I'm glad we were all able to pull it together and get here on the same night and chat about the stuff we love. Yep. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Um, then until next time, I'm Ron. I'm Tom. I'm Dave. And I'm Terry. All right. <laughs> Good night. Good night, Good night, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. For topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.